Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I am excited. I'm excited for a lot of reasons, but one of which is we're going into a new series called Hard Words. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> you're like, yeah, okay, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. We're talking about difficult conversations. We're talking about the moments where a conversation maybe turns to something severe, where you're hoping that it doesn't, but then it does, and then how do you handle yourself in the midst of that? Trying to find hope there, trying to find Jesus there, trying to find a way in which to glorify God and to bring peace, because we all know that these conversations happen no matter what. I mean, who's ever, I wonder who among us has ever been in a conversation that has turned maybe a little severe. Everyone who's married in the room says, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. Never been there. But we've all been there, really. We're in a conversation, and then all of a sudden it, it takes a turn, right? And we know that something has happened, and it becomes tense. And then some of us in that moment, feeling attacked or undermined, lash out and begin blaming or trying to manipulate the situation in order to prove how right we really are. And maybe some of us kind of cave inside, become really quiet and really silent, and maybe in that place start developing ideas of malice, maybe even bitterness, in the worst case scenario, hatred, and allowing it to brood up in our hearts. How many of us have then tried desperately to crawl out of these situations tooth and nail only to find that we're digging a deeper and deeper hole that we can't get out of? I would guess, if I was going to ask for a show of hands, that all of us would be like, yep, I've been there. I know that feeling, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and, and, it, and it doesn't, our best selves don't really normally come out in those situations, you know what I'm saying? It's hard to, to really be like the fullest version of you in that moment because you feel scared, or you feel in a place where you don't feel safe, or you feel like you're being attacked, or then you act in such a way that you kind of regret in, in the moment, you know? We've all been there. Those moments are hard and uncomfortable but we must not underestimate them, and we can't, definitely can't, ignore them. These kinds of conversations have led to some disastrous endings, like broken relationships, loss of trust, loss of credibility and integrity, loss of importance, sometimes multi-million dollar accounts like that, not to mention divorces and churches splitting, and even nations going to war. So from the way that I see it, these kinds of conversations, if underestimated or if ignored, we ignore them to our own peril most of the time. And putting together the wrong words at the wrong time can create this explosively damaging situation. And when I stand back, and as I have kind of stood back to get a large view of this topic as I've been preparing my heart and mind for where God is taking us in the next few sermon, sermons that we'll, we'll hear in the next few weeks, I've had to just ask myself, there's got to be a better way. Like, there has to be a way to engage these conversations that actually bring life out of us, right? And then also, at the same time, give God a lot of glory so that he shines at the end of it. And the good news is that I really, really think that there is. I really believe there's a way for us to implement practices that are well-researched and that, that are good, full of wisdom, and also come to Scripture and see how the pages of the Bible can actually interpret and transform our heart in order to perform well in these moments of difficult and hard conversation. I mean, this is 
in my mind, directly connected to this idea of the ministry of reconciliation that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's saying to them, hey, Jesus has come and he has made a way for us. We were once separated from God in our sin and then Christ came and, and literally built this bridge into the life that God has for us. And now he's left and he's left the church with this ministry, this job of reconciliation to cross the bridge into the life of God and to bring as many people with us as possible. And these moments, these kinds of conversations can be avenues, can be cars that we ride on over the bridge into the life of reconciliation. I mean, th- this is, these moments are crucial and we can't underestimate them. Because this is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's connected to that. This topic is directly linked to the Great Commission. This is a, is a discipleship issue at its core. And it's also a discipleship opportunity. I mean, think of it like this. If in your jobs, if in your offices, what if every Christian in your office had the reputation of someone who could engage these hard conversations in such a way that brought about a resolution, a plan of action, and actual healing. And then noticing that, people coming to the Christians in their offices be like, hey, how are you doing this? Like, what is different? How, how are you able to manipulate these conversations in a way that actually brings about peace? And our response would be then, I, I know Jesus. Th- this is a natural overflow of the life that I have with him. Do, do you want to know more about it? I mean, right there is an avenue to proclaim the gospel in your context, in your schools, in your jobs, just by handling well the conversation. And think, too, of what this could do for our families. I mean, no family is perfect. Every family has disagreements. We all get that. That's just intrinsic to our nature. But what if these moments were not seen as a moment to, to create separation maybe between you and your spouse or you and your kids or kids to parents? But what if instead they were seen as opportunities to shine the love of Jesus? What if instead it was an opportunity to actually come together instead of being afraid of being pulled apart? What if that was our reality instead of something else? And that's where, that's what I want to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, of how to equip this church and this body of believers to handle this topic of discussion really well in order to bring God glory and to enhance our hearts and lives. We want to recognize the crucialness of these moments, of these discussions, of these conversations. We want to dignify them for what they are because they are hard, right? They're not easy. They're they're, they're difficult. In the moment, I mean, I I know that, at least for me, my stomach gets all turned up in knots. I maybe, my, my, my mouth gets dry. I'm afraid in that moment to engage the situation. They're not easy. But if handled well, and do they bring a lot of peace? Some of the most effective and beautiful moments in my friendships, in my marriage, in my jobs has been when a moment like this has arisen and I've handled it well. And God's received glory and I've had peace in the moment. And so we want to dignify them for what they are, but at the same time, we don't want to glorify them. We don't want them to actually make them bigger than what they really are and then in turn we're back where we started unable to engage them. So we want to see them and know them as difficult, but know them as a challenge that God transcends and provides a way for us to interact with it. 
provides a way for us to do something about it and make something good come out of it. So hopefully what you're hearing me saying here is that we're like, we're really leaning on the Lord. We're really wanting to fall back onto his guidance and his wisdom and his direction so that as we engage this, it's beautiful and it's good because it's the Lord's work in our hearts and in our lives. I mean, my hope for any sermon series, for anything that we do at this church, is that we create and we help y'all become better disciples of Jesus so that you go out from this place into your context and literally through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the text of Scripture, change the fabric of reality around you. That you make a difference because of Christ in you. I mean, that is real. I really believe that. I would not be in this job up here standing if I didn't with my whole heart believe that is a reality that we can all live into. So, he's excited. Yeah. So in order to begin this sermon today, I, I want to go to the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them or unlock them or whatever you have to do to get to a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you or at home, we have some at the entrance and exits. They are, those are our gift to you to take. So, we'll start in the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs is, is less of a book and more of a collection of what wisdom sayings. This is essentially the wisdom of God for the people of God. Um, and, and I love the book of Proverbs. I remember when I was younger in my faith, I learned that you could read the book of Proverbs in a month. And ever since then, every year I go back and I read the book of Proverbs because it only takes a month. I normally do it in February. I just kind of go through it. And every time my heart is enriched. I had a college professor who said, I, I find myself in the book of Proverbs once every three months because I have yet to find the bottom of its wealth of wisdom. I always love that. And so... I, I'm convinced that even one of these sayings, even one of these sayings can provide the structure and format for a bunch of different sermons. So in order to do that, to engage this kind of hard topic well, I'd like to start with the wisdom of God. But before I do anything, let's pray. Father, I just want to invite you into this place. Uh, I want your will to be done here in, in, in our hearts. God, I pray that as we talk about crucial conversations and hard conversations that, that you would shine forth your glory, that you would give us hope. I, I remember I was talking to someone in the first service who, who was just, who, who had had conversations that have hurt them in, in significant ways. And I pray, God, that you would bring redemption today to our hearts, to our lives. So God, come and move in our midst. We trust you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen. So we'll begin in Proverbs chapter 25. Verse 11, it's a short little saying, uh, but it's got a lot into it. So Proverbs 25, verse 11 reads like this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. This saying depicts godly language, right? So this is an image to an idea. So we've got these ordinary apples that have morphed into this solid thing filled with gold sitting in a placemat of silver. It's simplicity transformed into extravagance. In the ESV study Bible, the commentator for this passage suggests this, that these words are stunningly beautiful and valuable. These fitly spoken words are stunningly beautiful and valuable, possibly because of their rarity. 
Now think about that, about that for a moment. I mean, when was the last time you saw a placemat of silver filled with golden apples? I haven't in a long time. If you have, you live a life I don't know anything about, and maybe we can talk sometime because I'd like to hear more about that. Um, but I haven't. So they're beautiful kind of because they're rare. Their, their rarity makes them a little bit beautiful, right? Um, and at the same time, well, let's, first let's bring this down to earth a little bit. What is this proverb actually talking about? It's actually talking about a, a word spoken at the right time, right? This word that is fitly spoken, just right when it needs to be said, so it is heard in the right way. That moment is beautiful. And in order to bring it down to earth a little bit, think about maybe a moment you had a conversation with your boss, okay? And you knew the conversation was going to be a little bit tense. You were kind of ready for it, going into it. And you enter into the conversation, and all of a sudden, it, it's going well. Like, you're saying a lot of stuff, and they're accepting it in really good ways. And the conversation keeps going, and keeps going well. And then at the end of it, it went really well. It was successful. You have an action plan now. There's maybe some resolution that wasn't there before. And you walk out of that office building feeling like you climb a mountain. Like, you're ready to run a marathon. Let's go. Like, that's an excellent feeling. Or think about a time when you had that, a similar conversation with a friend or with a spouse, or with a family member. That is empowering. Like, that, that is, I think we can all agree that those mo- moments are incredibly and increasingly beautiful. And they're also somewhat rare, too. Now, I, I don't think necessarily that what this proverb is teaching us is that the only reason these fitly words spoken are beautiful is because they're rare. Rather, I think the author of this proverb is proclaiming a possible and beautiful future that that proclaims what if, or kind of asks the question, what if the difficult conversations we had with people in our lives were made beautiful because of the regularity of our use of right words at the right time? Like what if these words were increasingly beautiful because we learn more and more how to use our language in such a way that honors God? Right? I mean, sunsets don't decrease in beauty. They continue to be beautiful, right? And in the same way, what if the use of our language was done in such a way that gave God glory and was increasingly beautiful? So out of that comes kind of my thesis for my sermon today, from this hopeful expectation. And my thesis is this. The right word at the right time can bring God glory and give you peace. The right word at the right time can bring God glory and give you peace. This thesis is kind of broken up into two parts, all dealing with the words that we use in moments of difficult conversations. The first talks about bringing God glory, right? That is, after all, the chief end of man, right? In the Westminster Short Catechism, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the right answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? And I've always really liked that. Um, this is, this is if, if our purpose then is to use language more successfully in order to merely perform better at work or in marriage or in our friendships, then we are only addressing a fraction of the problem. There's more going on to this problem of disunity that we feel with other people in these hard conversations than just the conversation itself. It goes a little bit deeper than that. And And I would argue, too, that it's actually directly connected to our separation from God through our sin. I I don't think that our sin is separated from how well or not well we perform in these crucial conversations. But 
Like I said earlier, God has sent Christ, his son, to give us a way to God, to, to give us access to the wisdom of God and the nature of God so that in these moments we can perform well in order to glorify him. And we'll talk more about that later. Secondly, this thesis is concerned with the peace that comes from the practice of using words well and at the right time. Our language constructs reality most of the time. Think about maybe something you didn't understand for a long time, and then someone said it in just a particular way, and you, you just got it. The way that we understand our world is mostly because of the way that we understand our language and how we communicate. So if we can communicate well and use our language in such a way, what if we could construct a reality of peace around us that gave us peace and gave those around us peace as well? So my hope for this message is that by communicating where we begin and addressing our behavior in these crucial conversations, which is with Christ in us, active and alive in us, that we would then find our constant source of peace there. So I want, I essentially, I want to start at the beginning. I want to start at the source of where this problem is and then present to you Jesus and find peace there in order to overflow into the moment of a difficult conversation, right? So that's, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. And also, every conversation, every situation will be different. It will be unique for each of us. Depending, I mean, depending on a million different aspects, it will be unique because each of us are unique. But Jesus promised his followers that his presence would be with them and remain with them and shall give them peace. So now, let's dive into the Bible. You've, you've heard kind of my bias, my thesis. Let's look at scripture to see what God's word has to say connected to where we begin in handling ourselves well in these conversations. Uh, so, Open your Bibles again to James chapter 3. Uh, James was the brother of Jesus. And um, James has a, has a short little five-chapter book towards the end of the New Testament. And it is packed full of, of powerful teachings. I mean, he was, he was concerned with morality. He was concerned with the glory of God. And he writes in such a way that just, like, tugs on our heart as people. And so this section is no different than that. Now, to give a little context, in the first part of it, James is talking to people who would teach the gospel. And he's saying to them, be careful. Be mindful of what you're getting into because you will be held to a higher standard of, of judgment, really, than anyone else. Because you, you have the mantle of teaching and preaching the gospel. So be careful of that. But then he transitions into talking about the danger of the use of our language by using the the monogram, the tongue, right, uh, which is applicable to all of us. So let's read James chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we'll go down to verse 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is, perfect, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed by, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth came, come blessing and cursing my brothers and sisters. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So, Essentially, James suggests here that if someone can tame their tongue, basically everything else is like a piece of cake. Because it's so difficult to tame this, this wild beast of a thing, although it's small. It, it may be small, but its influence can't be underestimated. Here, the tongue is compared to the rudder of a massive ship, the bridle in a horse's mouth that steers and directs both horse and its rider. The tongue is a small fire responsible for a massively destructive forest fire. James goes as far to say that our tongues are restless evil full of deadly poison. So I say all that to make this point. The Bible doesn't underestimate the power of our words, and neither should we. We shouldn't for a moment take lightly the power that our words hold. Our, power, uh, our words have the power to heal and to kill, to damage and to rebuild. Our words hold intrinsically immense authority. And notice too the point that is made in verse 9. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James is drawing on our tendency to overlook the true gift that language is. God being our creator has given us language to communicate and glorify his name, yet in the same breath breath we bless him and tear others down god's good creation james goes on from here in the next verse to say my brothers and sisters this ought not to be so he's essentially saying don't mess around with this gift there is potential danger in here that can that can kill your reputation and kill a relationship it can ruin a person's heart and life. And I, and I know, I guarantee that even as I'm saying this, some of you in this room are replaying moments in your life where a word was spoken to you that still is with you to this day, damaging you. And I would go maybe even further to say that some of us are remembering a moment in time when we said something that we know damaged and hurt another person. And James is telling us, you're misusing your gift. Or the gift has been misused upon you. And it ought not to be that way. We ought to recognize the power we have in our words. And from that, use our gift to glorify the gift giver. This then also should, also should emphasize to us that when our words are used incorrectly or inappropriately, specifically in order to curse or hurt or abuse those who have been created in the image of God, we not only neglect the power of this gift, but give into its 
darkness. This is the potential power and the potential danger that exists in the misuse of our words. How many fires have been started in your office or home or friend group due to gossip or bitterness, due to a lack of engagement in crucial conversations? How many of us have known the good we ought to have done and neglected it and started a fire that became bigger and bigger before we ever knew what to do about it? How many of us, if we could, would go back and maybe hold our tongue or say something different? Further, how many of us have have used the power of our words to steamroll over a friend because we felt backed into a corner that led to the destruction of a good relationship, or maybe even a good marriage or partnership? It becomes very real in that moment when we connect our own story to the power that words hold in our real life. So James is stressing us to recognize this shouldn't be messed around with. We should learn to do this well. And not in order to tear someone down, but to glorify God. Because the truth of the matter is, a ship's not getting where it wants to go without the rudder. It's not going to get to its destination if it can't steer, right? And in the same way, if you are wanting a successful marriage, if you are wanting a successful partnership, if you are wanting a successful career, We must begin to engage this topic of crucial conversations well in order to get there. And the moment we don't, we're going nowhere. But this is not easily done. It's not easy to to think of this in the moment. It's not easy to, to think, oh, I should say this right word at the right time in order to bring God glory and give myself peace. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. If it did. We'd all be masters of it by now. But it doesn't. So, then we must ask how. We must come to the pages of Scripture and we must come before the Lord and say, Lord, where would you have me start? How would you begin? And when I say that, I don't mean that figuratively. I mean that literally. I mean we literally open the pages of Scripture. We go to the book of Proverbs or Psalms or, or the Gospels and we say, Jesus, what are you doing? And how can I put it into my life? How can I be different because I know you? And, and that only comes with getting to know who Jesus is and hanging out with him and reading his text more and more and more. And I think, as, as I did that over the past few weeks, and I think if we were to do that together collectively, I think we would find ourselves at a familiar spot, and that's with the teachings of Jesus. We come to Jesus in these moments. I mean, think of it like this. Jesus was... The word made flesh, right? He was God's word made flesh. A representation of who God is to the whole world. A perfect representation of who God is to the whole world. He communicated perfectly the uncommunicatable. So we can, we can learn a lot from him, I think. Therefore, if our chief end is to glorify God in every area of our life, including our conversations... Then my second point is this. We must not only fill our mouths with the word of God, but also our hearts. We must not only fill our mouths with the word of God, but also our hearts. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43, Jesus in, in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount teaches about the source of our language. Where our words actually come from. 
So in order to be good about practicing, we should know a little bit about the source of where our words come from, right? So this is what Jesus has to say in Luke 6. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus cuts right to the core, right? James did an an excellent job of of explaining to us, hey, this language that you have, it's a gift, and sometimes it's used incorrectly, and it's a dangerous thing when you do that. Jesus goes right to the center of our problem and of our issue, See, what we have stored in our hearts and what we feed our affections on a regular basis will come out in how we communicate with other people. What's in here is coming out here one way or another. So while James emphasizes the potential danger in our words, Jesus emphasized the the potential danger in if our hearts aren't made right or aren't good. Therefore, in order to begin engaging in crucial conversations in a healthy way, we must begin by looking at our values, our affections, our character. If the source is anywhere but those, uh, but the heart, but the character of, of, of who you are, it's not the source. Because out of that is where our reflexes come. And, and I think if we're honest, in the moments where we're in a, a hard conversation, almost none of us are probably thinking very much anyway, right? It, it's an emotional response most of the time because we either feel backed into a corner or we feel like we have to prove that we're right somehow. And so what comes is like what is right there, face value in our emotions. And so in order to do well there, we have to come in prepared. We have to come in ready. Our hearts need to be transformed before we get there in order to do it really, truly well. And not just once, but for the long haul. To continue to do it well over time in order to gain a reputation of doing it well. Right? In 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord says this to Samuel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this should, be, this should come to us as a challenge in this context. Because the truth of the matter is, we can maybe every once in a while have a successful, difficult conversation. No problem. We might be able to do it, we might be able to get like really good at it. And like find practices that work really well for us and implement those practices in conversation with people. And then at the end of it, be like, yeah, I've done a really good job. But the truth of the matter is, God is not blown away or impressed by what we see. He looks much deeper than that. God is interested in what you are feeding your character. He is interested in what you are feeding your heart on a regular basis. And, and then, yes, he wants us to perform really well in great conversation with people that it might be difficult or hard to do. But he wants it to flow out of a heart that is full of Jesus. He wants the source to be transformed before the action is transformed. 
the two work in tandem. The thrust of this teaching by Jesus hinges upon true treasure. And my friends, Jesus himself is that treasure. Nothing else. Without the transformation of our hearts, then we are simply implementing good ideas that can help us succeed in life. But God is calling his people to succeed in eternity. He's got this long view of time, right? He's not interested in us performing great at our jobs for a little while. He's interested in us being with him forever, to experience a life with him forever, a life that continues to get better and better and better, that glorifies God more and more, and that we have more peace that spills out from us into our context, into our jobs, into our families. That's where he's going. That's where he's moving us. No amount of best practices will transform our heart. If we are a Jesus-saturated people, then from our mouths will come forth blessing upon blessing. And in order, in order to become great and crucial conversations, we must first begin, or we must first become great at allowing Jesus into our heart on a regular basis. Therefore, our primary focus here must be on what we are allowing to feed our affections. The question is, who is seated on the thrones of our hearts? Who is steering the rudder of our life? Who controls the bridle in our mouths? If it is not Christ, friends, then at our best, we only mask an evil heart with good practices. At our very best. After all, God doesn't want us to just say the right words. He wants us to become the right person. Which leads me to my final point. God is interested in our transformation and not only our application. Because here's the deal. Without best practices, we're lost. Without knowing what to do in the moment and having a grid, grid line for what that looks like, we don't know what to do. We're guessing every time. Best practices are crucial in order, in order to bring God glory, in order to perform well in these conversations and in our jobs and in our families. We must know how to do it well. But if we're only concerned with that, we're missing a huge piece, which is the transformation of our hearts, which is the transformation of who we are. We must apply the true and powerful principles of Scripture out of a sincere love for the author of Scripture. If we do so without such love, then our relationship with Jesus is subtracted into a rote religion with nothing more and shoulds and should nots. If our whole walk with Jesus is just about performing well in the moment and not about allowing our hearts to be molded by him and allowing who we are to be shaped, to change, we're missing something there. It's, it's, it's more dynamic than that. The life that God has for his people is a dynamic life that has layers to it. It's more than just shoulds and should nots. It's more than just law devoid of grace. I think the best practices in Scripture become the best when our love for Jesus continues to grow and mature. Best practices, in my mind, spring out of love. 
spring out of a dynamic relationship with the one true God who has created a life for his people that is beautiful and powerful in nature. So as we begin this series, our hope as a church is that we would discover a deeper and fuller love of God and his words so that we might apply the principles or best practices surrounding these crucial conversations and that our words would truly come from the heart. This morning we sang Be Thou My Vision, which is one of my all-time favorite hymns. Um, Jill and I didn't connect before the service. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know anything. It was just the Holy Spirit working in tandem, which I love. Um, but there's the verse, verse 4 in Be Thou My Vision goes like this. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. That's my prayer for us today. My prayer for us is that we would begin with Jesus. That we would allow him into our hearts to transform us. And that as he's doing that work, we would apply wisdom and good principles best practices in the moment so that we can dignify others and bring forth peace into our context. So may may Christ be our inheritance today. May he be our vision. May he be the treasure of our hearts. Would you pray with me? Therefore, Lord, may we joyfully invite Jesus to transform our hearts and in the process teach us how to communicate with one another that diminishes the potential evil of our tongues and greatly glorifies God. May we, by storing up good treasure in our hearts, become more interested in adding value to conversations than being right. Let us become excited at the opportunity to glorify God in the midst of hard conversations. And may we learn to honor those around us by the use of our words. Then, from the overflow of Christ in us, may we experience new levels of peace that were beforehand unknown. May broken relationships be mended in Jesus' name. May working relationships become more effective in Jesus' name. May the stunning beauty of our good words not be found in their rarity, but in their frequency. And in all things, may Christ and God and the Holy Spirit be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. So today, if you would like prayer for this, we have some wonderful people in the back who would like to pray with you and walk alongside of you. Thank you so much for being here today. And may God be with you throughout the rest of your week. Go in peace.